a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 80 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman, and with me like the master to every Sith apprentice, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey everybody, good to be back again talking about one of the more unusual items in recent Star Wars publishing this time. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or those simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we plunge into the Sithly secrets of... The Book of Sith. Consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go. Now, before we jump into this, I want to explain something here for me. Uh, you know, I have mentioned in our few past episodes, I didn't have the Book of Sith. Now, now, how did this happen, that he went from one to the other? It's called money, folks. Throw some at the problem. You too can have it. Uh, now, I got the Jedi Path back when it came out, the Vault Edition, with the woo-bee-boo, does all its cool stuff. I loved it. I wanted to get the Sith one, too. But at the time it came out, I didn't have that money. You know, you throw in almost 200 bucks at a problem of that size, it's a little harder to do. So I, I swallowed my pride and decided I'm not going to be able to get the awesome version. I'm going to have to wait for the other version, the hardback one, like they did with the Jedi Path, where it's just the book for like 14, 15 bucks later. So I waited. That's not a problem. I had a friend, though, that also gets advanced copies. This was actually right before I started getting advanced copies of things. Uh, so a friend of mine got his advanced copy of Book of Sith, came with the holocron and everything, except for there was no book in his holocron. And the holocron didn't work. So he responded back to him. They said, oh, no problem. Go ahead and keep that one. We're going to send you another one free of charge. They sent him the new one. He had the old one. It was sitting on the shelf. My son's birthday was coming along this year. And I'm like, you know, I want to get my son something really cool. We're doing a 501st again. What could it be? What could it be? Uh, and that's actually a lie. It wasn't It wasn't his birthday. His birthday, we did have the 501st. But it was actually uh, Christmas time. I'm, I'm a month or two ahead of myself. It was Christmas time. I wanted to get him this really cool thing. And I was like, hey, buddy, you know what? Uh, you got that extra one sitting around, you know, maybe I can uh, snag it off your hands. So got it sent to me, was told it wasn't going to work. But I was like, you know, hey, he's a kid. He can play with it as a Sith holocron. He can get all in universe with it. This should be fun for him. So we get it. We're looking at it and I'm looking inside of it and I'm like, huh, it looks like this wire is just not quite touching. I kind of, you know, take a little screwdriver and stick it in there and I touch it on there and whoop, it starts moving. I'm like, holy cow, get my hands out of there just fast enough. So I go hit the button again. It opens. I put my son, he, he had this little journal that's about the same size, put it in there, hit the button. Holy crud, it closes. Oh my God, son, I fixed your thing. This is going to be great. Well, he doesn't know about it at this point. So we, we wrap it up, get it all ready for Christmas. Christmas comes, he opens the gift, he gets ready, he hits the button, nothing happens. I'm like, are you kidding me? So we get it all pulled apart again, looking again, the wire came off again. So my flatmate, he's looking at it, he's big into computers. He's like, I, I got a soldering gun, we could solder that. I can have that fixed for you in like five minutes. Pulled it open. I took a couple screws out. We opened up that little mechanism. He soldered that on. Boop, thing has worked fine ever since. The Book of Sith, the hardback edition came out. I managed to score that for Father's Day, which just happened. That was about, I think, 14, 15 bucks. So with that, I now have a complete vault version of the Book of Sith, and it didn't cost me as much. So it's a very, very roundabout way of how I managed to get a vault edition of these. So I have both of them in the vault edition. Uh, I did in our, our favorite episodes mention how much I loved the Jedi Path. Oh, let me say, I did love the Book of Sith just as well. 
Uh, but with that, uh, Nathan, you had something you wanted to mention as well about uh, these great things, and we will continue to jump in from there. That's right. One of the things that caused some minor controversy, uh, more just fan griping, in the recent past was when Jedi Path was released again. Jedi Path had, of course, that vault edition that's about 100 bucks, just like the uh, Book of Sith uh, Holocron edition, whatever you want to call it. It was about 100 bucks. They then put it out as the hardback release, so you could get it as just a regular book with none of the, the fancy trimmings with it. But then they also put it out as an ebook. And one of the big things that rubbed some people the wrong way was that they took advantage of the fact that iBooks has some features that it can do that standard readers like the Kindle or the Nook can't do, or that not all Kindles, not all Nooks can do, so the Nook and Kindle edition couldn't have these extra features. Anything that uses iBooks would have access to these extra features. So there's a special iBooks version of Jedi Path, and I wanted to point out what the differences actually were, so that you're thinking about purchasing it, or in many cases repurchasing it, for iBooks, you'll know kind of what this winds up including. It's not a huge price tag. I want to say it's about the same cost as buying the, the hardback of it, as opposed to buying the vault edition of it. But it's not as much new stuff as one would imagine. And, of course, there's that question of, well, what about all the little extras inside? Basically, what happens is you start out with the Jedi Path, set up the same way as the regular book. Uh, it opens uh, horizontally, uh, ideally, on your screen. And the first thing you'll notice is... In the introduction to it, the introduction uh, letter from Luke, it lists who it is that had copies of the book. And this actually uses new information not found in the Jedi Path, but found in Dan Wallace's end notes, where there's all these little training remotes above the names as they appear on this timeline. And you click the remote, like let's say I click on, click on a Dooku, it says, a little pop-up shows up, it says, Dooku, Thames Cerulean's Padawan, took control of the book during his apprenticeship around 89 to 82 BBY. He later turned to the dark side and took on the title Count. Or you click on Ahsoka Tano. Ahsoka Tano, Anakin's Padawan, held on to the volume, adding her comments during the Clone Wars from 22 to 19 BBY. So that's new. Um, you flip to the beginning of any chapter, and the chapter title is in Oribesh. You tap the little Jedi symbol down at the bottom... And it very briefly goes to an animation where it takes the Oribesh and just sort of fades it out and fades in, like, part one, introduction to the Jedi Order. Uh, nothing super special, but kind of neat. Any of the artifacts that you would have, like the little uh, note slips and whatnot, the little items, the little coin or whatever that were fit within the book in the Vault Edition, as you're reading and you get to the pages those would go with, there's little training remote icons off to the corner. That lets you click to bring up uh, and in some cases, like an animation, uh, an animation in one case of the holocron opening, which I think is actually from one of the uh, the Jedi Vault type things on one of the Clone Wars DVDs uh, or Blu-rays. But you can click on, say on page, gosh, I don't even see a page number on here. Uh, you click on the pages talking about holocrons, and it shows you know, the little torn slip, that the burned slip that has a part of the Jedi code on it, which is one of the items ah. that's included in the book. Um you get to the point where it starts talking about, uh, uh, or it's supposed to talk about the prophecy of the Chosen One, where in the regular book it's ripped out. Here, because it's digital, it looks like the page is all scrambled, and there's a little note that says, These pages were already corrupted when the book came into my possession. I don't know who tried to suppress the prophecy, but it was most likely the Emperor, very much like the actual regular book talks about how the pages were torn out when he got it. Um, you eventually get to things like lightsaber forms, and you click on the little icon, it'll show a bigger image of the person holding the lightsaber the right way. And in some cases, it's animated through, like, step one, step two, step three of the way that the lightsaber would move. Um, you get to the point where it shows an overhead graphic of the layout of the Jedi Temple. And you can tap on, like, the rotunda, the first hall. And it zooms in a little bit and gives a description right next to it. It's not a ton of new information. Um, one of my favorite parts is the ability to go to a... When it shows a galactic map, you can click on all these different planets and it zooms in on where the planet is and gives you notations off to the side like the name, the diameter, the number of moons, very much like you would see in, say, the Essential Atlas. Uh, is it enough new little bits of information to justify the purchase? I don't know. If you're looking for just something kind of neat, cool, and a fun new way to experience it and you already do ebooks anyway, then yeah, probably. Um, but don't expect it to add a bunch of new information. It's it's enhancing the experience you already have with the regular book. 
Um, it's not like there's a new added chapter or anything. Uh, beyond the fact that it's got those dates for when each person owned a book, which of course was found in Dan Wallace's endnotes uh, online, there really isn't any new information presented here. You're not missing out by not having the ebook version, but it is kind of nifty, and I'm kind of hoping we'll see something like that for Book of Sith, though I guess it doesn't lend itself quite as much to that type of treatment. Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, one of the things that I'm really irritated with is uh, I wear my Jedi credit from the Jedi Path on a necklace. And at Halloween, as always, I dress up in my Jedi outfit, and when I got done, my son wanted to borrow it, and the little turd did not give it back, and it is now MIA in his bedroom, and I have to wait until we move out to find it, because I have cleaned his room five times and still can't. It's got to be under a dresser is all I'm assuming. But I've looked, you can't find those things anywhere, just a bot, which would be kind of... You would think like they'd offer that. I mean, th- those were cool. Even her universe. Hello. Hey, Ashley, get on that. Uh, but the, the Sith one's got the red crystal on the inside. And what is the other thing? It's like a weird compass thing. I, is is there ever anything that actually says what that is? Like, I have no clue. Uh, I, in universe wise, I have no clue what that is, Dude, what it's supposed to be. That That's the talisman that Savage uses to find Maul. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's the amulet. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I totally did not put that together. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize it until, you know, I went through and actually, you know, read through the stuff and then realized, oh, that's what they're referring to and just kind of assumed uh, before uh-huh. finding out about it. But, yeah, I will say that this one doesn't come with quite as much stuff as the Jedi Path did. Jedi Path felt like it came with more. This comes with a note from Luke uh, because he gets a hold of this book basically right before the Yuzhan Vong invasion, although some of his comments are definitely after Borskvalia becomes chief of state. Um, hey, real we, quick, is that that note from Luke? Is it in the first page? Is it a part of the first page? Like no, mine it's, is, or it's slipped into the front cover where it says each recovered text has its own texture and size, etc., mm-hmm. etc. But um, it's a that, separate sheet, though. Right, it's a separate little like note Weird. card size thing that's slipped on the inside. Well, now, that's how they did it with Jedi Path, but in my version, it's the hardcover. It's actually embedded in the page. That now sheet. let me let me ask you: is is your does yours have the weird edges? Yes, it does. I okay, love good. it. So they all have the weird edges. Um, yes. you, you get a scrap of a Sith burial shroud <sighs> tossed in here, which is kind of cool. It looks kind of uh. like a napkin, really. Um, the, there was a napkin in the other one. You get a, a battle map from the Great Galactic War from the era of the Old Republic. You get oh. a diagram of, uh, of Palpatine's different strategies for the Clone Wars, um, which is kind of neat because it's like this... It's folded up in such a way that it looks like the imperial symbol, like the – it's basically a, uh, a hexagon, and you have right. to kind of unfold it, kind of like you would see little girls do in high school. The uh, little, the little one, two, three, four, pick a color. <laughs> right, that kind of thing. And then you've got a, a propaganda poster for Palpatine, and then you have the two things he mentioned, the crystal and the talisman that are inside the holocron. So we've got quite a few things here, but it's not nearly – it doesn't feel nearly as loaded up as the other, and most of it tends to be um, paper products as opposed so, to physical So I'm not physical quite items. up to the full vault edition then. I, I did not know about that little origami thing or the death shroud. I, I, yeah. And because it came attached to the page, I, I wondered if that was just some way they had changed it. That's interesting because, yeah, it is literally, it looks like it's just sitting on the page, but it is actually printed in the page on this version. But it, it, the immediate thing was what I recognized with the Jedi Path on that one. It, it slid in and out. Oh, that's cool, though, because now there's some other things out there. But again, it gets back to that. It'd be cool if they offered those things to buy just as, you know, like random knickknacks. Like, I, I don't even know where they would offer that, but I would love to be able to buy those things just to have them. So as we begin our discussion, let's open up the Sith Holocron, hoping that it actually uh, doesn't click us to death, because these things are prone to mechanical issues. Ah, see, it works great when you don't have the uh, book sitting in it. All right, so the holocron is open. Uh, Mark, start us off uh, with our discussion of Book of Sith. Well, you know, as you mentioned, the sides of the pages here, I liked that right away. Uh, you know, each each set, or, or should I say set of pages, is kind of like parts of different Sith holocrons or Sith books that were destroyed or found in the Jedi Temple that Palpatine then took 
collected later and bound them all in this one book. And so each section's pages are ruffled differently. Uh, one of my favorite ones is Darth Bane's section because they're very uniformed and every half inch or so there's a little triangle pointed out on them. Uh, you get to Darth, uh, is it Darth Malgus and his is kind of like graph paper, which I thought was kind of odd, but, uh, let's see, uh, uh, chosen sin or, or whatever. One of the original first dark Jedi's their page has got all these really cool kind of Celtic Sithly symbols running down the edges. And the pages look like they're kind of worn and, and a certain type of pattern to them. Um, mother Talzin, which, which I thought that was nice that, that the night sisters were actually included in that, which actually answered some really cool stuff about Palpatine's relationship with the night sisters. We'll get to that there, uh, kind of rounded and slightly, uh, a, a different booked, uh, and then you get to Darth Plagueis, who has the old uh, corner cut rounded aspect of his stuff, deals with a lot of stuff on metachlorines. And then Palpatine, he's got a, a, a preface at the beginning and at the end. But you also get these great side notes like you did in the last one where Luke wrote in there, uh, Quinlan Voss wrote in there, uh, Vader wrote in there, Palpatine wrote in there multiple times. Some of them are, you know, like he would write his preface then he would write one on the side then occasionally he'd come back and write another one which would be even later in the timeline where he's talking about well when i wrote this and, and that kind of thing one of the things I, I i also thought was interesting is that like vader obviously vader got sections of the book because there are ours there are other parts of the book where palpatine is mocking vader and i'm just like okay palpatine couldn't have given this to vader like if he did how awesome is that like openly here's me mocking you and i'm gonna give this for you to read and you're gonna learn about how i chumped you and all that but so obviously certain parts of these were written on before they became part of the book of sith uh like mace windu and yoda's comments and i love how even uh, uh Sidious talks about how, you know, he couldn't remove their scratches on the side of the works and things like that. Uh, you know, we get some really cool little Easter eggs or Tuckerisms where uh, the force.net's Eric Geller was mentioned in here by him. I, I discovered that and it did tweeted it to Eric and he hadn't caught that before. I, I thought that was just really cool when, when the, the writers do that and do these little Tuckerisms and add characters or people or, or fandom, you know, people that, that you may or may not know of in fandom and, and slip them in there. I think that's cool. You know, it'd be awesome someday to see my name in there someday. <laughs> Aside from just like uh, he put a mark on a book, <laughs> you actually got a chance to get that with the um, oh, they call, uh, Empire. What sin loyalty? That first one written by Jeremy Barlow. He used the 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 in the script the rebel traitor uh, who is well, he's a he's an imperial uniform. But he's actually a rebel working for the Rebel Alliance and whatnot. So he's a traitor to the Empire. Uh, his name Chrono Relt after uh, Chrono Radio <laughs> back in the day. Nice um, and the reverse of the last letters of my last name. Um, I do like the fact that this is divided into chunks. It's It feels very different from the Jedi Path. The Jedi Path was all one manual, one training manual, kind of like a guidebook. And then you had your comments tossed in here and there. This, of course, you know, it make, doesn't make a lot of sense for the Sith to just have a textbook. Uh, they hoard their knowledge and whatnot. So we've got bits and pieces of several different things. We have, as he mentioned there, uh, several different types by different writers but that also means that the book has very different feels. Swords of Sin's part, uh, Swords of Sin is one of the original exiles uh, from right after the Hundred Year Darkness, the ones that find the Sith society, dub themselves Dark Lords of the Sith, and eventually create what becomes known as the Sith Empire. Uh, it's her, Swords of Sin's a woman, uh, Ajunta Paul, uh, Zosan, or however you're supposed to say the name, uh, Baron Drapa, who of course showed up in uh, Night, was it... Uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral. Yeah. We get to Karnas Muir, who shows up in Vector. So uh, we get a lot of insight into kind of what their first days were like. How do they take over the Sith? Um, why are they using blades instead of lightsabers in many cases in some of the stuff that we see? How do they conquer what they conquer? What's up with all these Sith weapons? What's up with these amulets? Uh, the things that uh, Swords of Sin creates for people like Karnas Muir and so forth. Really cool stuff. Tons of great information there about the early days of the Sith. Uh, you've got the idea that at the top, you've got like the super dark lord, which is the Jinari, and then beneath them, sort of lesser dark lords, a Sith council known as the Jinjirai. I mean, we have a lot of really cool ways of trying to describe what the society is like, and that was probably my favorite part of the book. Then you've got Darth Malgus's part. Malgus, of course, being a character in the era of the Old Republic uh, video game, series, or video game and, and uh, novel and comic series, and that's more like a journal. 
you know, rim campaign, day 133, day 460, and so on and so on. It helps us pin down certain events within the Great Galactic War that led up to the Old Republic video game, uh, which, of course, we can put together with things like the uh, Journal of Master Nos Doral, which came with the collector's edition of the game, to sort of see how things built up to that point, because a lot of that hasn't been set in stone. It's just stuff we're getting here and there through references in the, the game and whatnot. I recently added the game to my Star Wars Timeline Gold, and I want to say it added about 100 pages um, to the document itself. It's, it's a ridiculous amount of new information just from the game and its, its various references. So that's kind of cool. It lets us fit things together. Then we get the Rule of Two by Darth Bane, and that's much more of sort of a guidebook type of thing. Um, it's explaining things like the use of the title of Darth, uh, different force powers. It's much more like the Jedi path than any other parts of the book. The really oddball in there is Wild Power by Mother Talzin, the fact that hers is in there at all, talks about the idea of the living force, the dark side, Dathomir's history, uh, the Night Sisters where they get their power, the idea of the winged goddess, uh, which essentially basically is the light side represented, yeah. and that's, you know, that's the daughter from Mortis. That uh, was and, cool. Yeah, and her counter, or her counterpart, which of course would be the fanged god, which is the sun, uh, the use of the talismans and the idea of like the talisman of resurrection, talismans of counterspell, uh, which of course is where we get the talis, one of the talismans that uh, gets used to try to help find Darth Maul. And that was kind of cool. Didn't give us a lot of new data, but it, just like Castaways of Endor, I think it did a good job of giving us a sense that that magic in Star Wars essentially is force use. It's just done in a a more primitive or a different societal sort of way. We well, get... she even references that by mentioning that the uh, Raven talisman has still not been returned. <laughs> yeah, by Charles, of course, from Ewoks the Battle for Endor. Um, we get uh, the, the Journal of Darth Plagueis, which is more scientific. Um, interesting, kind of ties into the Darth Plagueis novel, but by and large, it doesn't tend to add a lot to our understanding. Uh just from my read of it. And then we have Sidious's Absolute Power, which goes along with some of the other books, like the Book of Anger and such, um, that we got references to back as early in the EU as 1991 with those things in the back of Dark Empire. Uh, and in his case, it's it's more about strategy, essentially, in a lot of ways, and some of the things that he has learned as far as manipulating life and that sort of thing. Um, because it is divided into so many different sections, you basically have... Uh, what, six different authors? The content varies. It's all good content. It's all, it makes for a, a cool read. And with the end notes provided by Dan Wallace online, it gives us a little bit more insight into why certain things were laid out the way that they were. But I don't know. I think someone looking for something just like the Jedi Path are going to find themselves a little bit disappointed, is probably not the right word. But they're going to find themselves taken aback a little bit because this isn't just the Sith Path. It's a different style and set up in a different way. I almost kind of yeah. wish that we had seen that with the Jedi path where different Jedi were giving their insights. I mean, imagine having one from the Jedi giving insights and then having someone from, say, the Old Republic era, then from the Clone Wars era and so on, maybe the New Jedi Order era giving their insights. And heck, maybe we should see something like that uh, later. Cool book, though. Um, it's worth it if you were to get the... Uh, the Vault Edition now because you can get it cheaper on Amazon and whatnot if you can still find it out there. Um, and I definitely look forward to the Bounty Hunter one, the Bounty Hunter code that's coming out. That's going to be the next in the line of these. Yeah, I just wrote that in the show notes. I'm like, isn't there a Bounty Hunter book coming? <laughs> yes, there is. And I've already pre-ordered that sucker. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Jedi Path was more like a textbook, you know, like you're coming in and your first day at the Academy, here's the textbook that all Jedi and Padawans get. Enjoy, read up on it, learn what it is to be your Jedi, and then your instructors are going to take what you have learned in this book and we're going to really blow your mind. Where this one is more like, I have taken these scrolls of Sithliness and I've entered all of them together. I mean, it's just kind of like Palpatine's kind of preserving what little there is left of these scrolls into one book. Uh, I, I, I just... I just love the concept of this one. I mean, I there is so many little things going on throughout this that just tickle me pink. Um, like here, here's one uh, in Sin's part where she's talking about Korriban uh, and and the uh, the the Valley of the Kings. You know, Mace writes off in the side. He goes, "It is said that the Jedi Temple was built atop a Force wellspring. I believe that the Force is in all things and remains skeptical." It's like really, really, you remain skeptical because uh, that ties in with. Uh, 
Rebel Dream, Rebel Stand, where uh, Lord Nyax uh, is trying to bust open this this bubble of force energy that is underneath the old Jedi Temple. Uh, and then uh, Vajer and Traitor is also talking to Jason about it. Why would the Jedi build their temple on this thing? I mean, that has never been answered. And yet here here is the closest we get where Mace is talking about it. And he's like, I remain skeptical. It's like, really? You guys don't even know what's underneath your own temple. Like little things like that. Like, you know, uh, another one is... Uh, where we learn about what happened to Yoda's, uh, uh, his Kaibuk. Uh, you know, there was in the Gendi series, Yoda was riding on that deer-like creature in Coruscant. Um, uh, he's talking about the Takata that are on Coruscant. Still proud, Korriban, they do. Lost my Kaibuk mount while patrolling there and chose another I have not. Heavy, my heart is. So now we know what happened to his little Kaibuk deer thingy, Mabobber. I mean, little stuff like that is just like hidden all over the place. Uh, one that I found was very interesting was in Darth Bane's Rule of Two under lightsaber construction. And they're, you know, talking about the Sith lightsabers uh, being stronger than the Jedi. And Quinlan Voss goes, uh, I love to have an edge in combat, but this is wishful thinking by the Sith. Red blades are weaker, and they're the ones that break. Jedi don't like artificial crystals anyway, not when there's such beauties on Ilum. Although, Quinlan Voss, I have to say to you, buddy, you're kind of wrong because Ferris Olin went to that same cave and came away with a red lightsaber crystal, buddy. So uh, you kind of got us in a catch-22 there, don't you? Uh, <laughs> I don't get that. I mean, how can they be stronger if the ones from Ilum are... are I mean, how can the red ones be weaker if the ones from Ilum are stronger? And yet, Ilum also has red lightsabers thanks to uh, Ferris getting one. Uh, just uh, that one, I, I just found that was an ironic little piece there. Again, showing you that the Jedi, they don't know as much as they think they do in all things. But uh, another one here, and again, in, in Darth Bane's, they're talking about powers. And one is uh, uh, Crudetorn, a technique that you, makes it possible to detach one's mind from coarse sensations. The secret to overcoming physical pain lies in the non-physical. A master of this technique can endure any torture and withstand any injury. And on the side, Quinlan Voss goes, thought this was a Jedi technique. At least that's what Master Koth told me. Which gets back to, you know, Dawn of the Jedi and the fact that, you know, the Sith weren't always Sith. And so it does not at all surprise me that Jedi techniques are in here. Again, getting back to our last episode with The Last Jedi, where when Jax Pavan absorbs all that information from the holocron, there are Jedi works inside the Jedi library in his mind that were stored in that holocron because the Sith, unlike the Jedi, they're not stupid. They're going to be paying more attention to this stuff. They're not just going to take the Sith holocrons and lock them away. They're going to read up on all the stuff. Oh, what's this? The Jedi holocron. Well, let's learn everything there is to know about it because we can use it. We're not limited like those Jedi. That makes sense to me. Uh, you know, and I love the fact that you get these little moments where the Jedi are like, well, that don't make any sense. Yeah, it's interesting how it, the few times that we see this stuff, uh, we see sort of the, the twisting of the Jedi teachings in a lot of ways. I mean, there's a great moment on page 46, at least of the Vault edition, where they talk about the Sith Code. So a single unifying code can be derived from the Sith philosophy. Now, this is being written by Sorza's Sin. I guess I should note that before that, I was flipping through here going, who wrote this part? Um, there is also a segment that's like a preface by Darth Sidious before his actual regular part. Um, but the first big part has that, and it says, a single unifying code can be derived from Sith philosophy. The Jedi have a code, and we exiles know it well. But we also know it is full of inadequacies and half-truths. The Sith purebloods require no mantra to remind them how to live. They simply take what they can, kill what they don't need, and use everything to its fullest. They are ruled by the fittest and are a model for what the dark side can achieve. There is knowledge to be gained from their example. If we were to create a Sith code, it must point to the failings of Jedi beliefs while laying bare the path to mastery of the Force. It is plain that fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hatred leads to power, and power leads to victory. Rage, channeled through anger, is unstoppable. The common edition of the Codex of Master Simicarti translates the Jedi Code thusly. There is no emotion, there is peace. There is no ignorance, there is knowledge. There is no passion, there is serenity. There is no chaos, there is harmony. There is no death, there is the Force. This code confines its adherence. Peace, serenity, and harmony are restatements of the same thing. The passive acceptance of limitations. The Jedi encourage this. But passion will always defeat peace. As we build our empire here on Zeost, our successes will hold true to the Sith Code. Peace is a lie. There is only passion. 
Through passion, I gain strength. Through strength, I gain power. Through power, I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. The force shall free me. And it's great that they sort of dive straight into this, saying that that code goes all the way back to the earliest of the so-called Dark Lords of the Sith, and give a reason behind it, that it's not just meant to kind of mirror the Jedi Code, it's to take the Jedi Code and kind of pick it apart, saying, I'm, we're going to take elements that you hold so dear, show that they are ridiculous in our philosophy's eyes, and use that as the foundation of building something new. You know, peace is a lie being the, the taking of the first line of the Jedi Code, and using it as a way of saying, you know, we're blasting it away, here's our new foundation. And they follow that, talking about the prophecy of the Sithari. Uh, the Sithari will be free of limits. The Sithari will lead the Sith and destroy them. The Sithari will raise the Sith from death and make them stronger than before. This, of course, is uh, the, the prophecy that, you know, Plagueis and Palpatine both at different times think they are fulfilling, and which is later said to have potentially been fulfilled by Vader. Um, the first section to me is the standout section of this book. The other stuff has some cool chronological bits and pieces and has stuff that is interesting to see from the point of view of the Sith that reads kind of like, you know, the Dark Side source book from the RPG in terms of describing different powers. But man, that first bit by Swords of Sin is such a wealth of new information about the uh -huh. early Sith and their foundation um, that it by itself, I think, probably justifies, if not picking up the Vault Edition, at least picking up the hardcover of this book. If you're chronologically minded and you want to see stuff about that era... The, the Second Great Schism, the Exile, a Hundred Year Darkness, this is the thing to pick up. It's mm -hmm. very well done. But, of course, this is Dan Wallace, the guy who's kind of helped develop some of that already through things like the Essential Chronology and New Essential Chronology. So I would expect this type of really good drawing together of chronological stuff when it's Dan. Although, I do think that his dating is off in the Malgus section because it basically uh, would have the Mandalorian blockade being mentioned about four years, I think it is, before it actually takes place. So that all kind of has to be shifted back from where it's um, it's suggested that it takes place. But by and large, that first section is this, just a great conglomeration of new chronological and societal data for the Sith in the Sith Empire. Yeah, the lore here is what it's all about. If you are a fan of lore, of not just the Sith, but of the stuff going on in this old era's this is definitely a book you're going to enjoy. I really liked it. I read it from cover to cover. And and it's one of those that you can do that, but also grab and just flip to any point and just start reading. It, it's it's a lot of fun like that. Uh, back in Sin's part, there, this is another one of those like little insights. After much experimentation, I have concluded that their blood, she's talking about the Sith purebloods here, is sufficiently similar to our own to permit alchemical crossbreeding. I always thought they just crossbred, but now we're finding out that it also had something to do with Sith, Sith alchemy. So it's like, huh? And she goes, I know Draper, for one, has his eye on a Sith priestess. He will be pleased to learn his bloodline will not only per persist, but thrive. Which, you know, to comment on that, it's like, you know, these guys, they're licking their wounds. They are a Jedi, but they're like, we're going to create something new. And it's like, they don't even care if they have to be, you know, their kids and, and the rest of their species has to become a new species Everything about them is going to thrive, and, and they're excited about that. And then Mace writes in the side, interesting, we don't know if it was Cataclysm or the crossbreeding mentioned here, but no trace of the Sith species remains. And, you know, it, it's just speculation on his point, but it's like, hmm, there's, there's some reason to that. I mean, we as EU fans know that the, that this species didn't die with this group or when that group ran into the Republic. You know, they continued on for quite a while, but there still is that aspect of what ended up happening to them because originally we were under the assumption that the Jedi hunted them down and killed every one of them, but then we find out, oh, no, they actually they, they just went back deeper into their own Sith space and hid out even longer and consolidated their power, come back even stronger than ever. What happened after that? Was there ever a, a Jedi purge in the regard of the Jedi were purging the Sith? Gosh, that would be kind of interesting. But, you, you know, you're, you're right in the aspect of that first one. I mean, it is huge. And she goes on to talk about so many great things. I love how, like, the, the uh, alchemy really plays a role in this. And I think that that's something about the older stuff. You know, when you read the Bane books, they talk about alchemy. And, and all these older stuff talk about alchemy. But it becomes like a lost art. Palpatine seems to be the only Sith in the present time to even mess around with it at all. Uh, and of course, you know, this book being the book it is kind of explains why. I mean, th that gives you at least that out of why suddenly it came back with Palpatine. Well, he found all this stuff and started experimenting again. 
Uh, and, and he even talks about that later uh, when he's talking about his experimentations and he changes the book of life to the creation of, of monsters. But I had a question for you toward the end in the manipulation of life, or is it not the manipulation of life? It is the, uh, it's the one right before that, right before the manipulation of life where he is talking about emperor's hands and stuff. And there's a picture down at the bottom there and you got some emperor's hands in the corners, some dark Jedi. Then you've got the uh, Imperial guards. And then there is a Jedi dude in the middle with two lightsabers, uh, and it talks, you know, my emperor's hands are my primary agents, followed by the shadow guards, and then the ranks of the Inquisitoris. But that dude sitting there in that cover, in the middle of that picture, looks incredibly like the ninth assassin currently hunting down Darth Vader. Does he not? He does. He looks very similar, or <laughs> looks like a, was like a dark side version of Starkiller or something. Oh, yeah, that too would work, yeah. Uh, the other thing about this on this page that I thought was interesting was that you know, the, Inquir the Inquisitorius is an arm of Imperial intelligence tasked with extracting information through torture. The most efficient or the most effective will serve as Grand Inquisitors, and the best of those will be selected as Emperor's Hands. So Mara was an Inquisitor, huh? Never knew. One thing that feels like it may be kind of lacking in the book, and it's not a weakness of the book because the book is really good, is that it seems as though there are some missed opportunities in terms of other perspectives that could have been brought into this. Because if you think about it, okay, we've got the era of the original Dark Lords of the Sith, and they talk about the legions of Latau and Zindor and all that, but we don't get anything from their perspective. Unlike we do, we, we do get some from their perspective uh, back when you look at uh, Jedi versus Sith, the essential guide to the Force. But we don't get anything from that era. Then we've got, and that sort of makes sense, it's called a Book of Sith, they didn't call themselves Sith when we were talking about the legions of Latal, so that would make sense. The first great schism can kind of be left out. We've got this era. We've got the next major era after that, sort of, in that we've got the Sith Empire with Darth Malgus at the time of the Old Republic game. But we don't get anything from the era of the Great Hyperspace War itself. It's later, when we get to the game. So it might have been nice to have somebody's perspective from in there. When it comes to the Great Galactic War era, where we have Darth Malgus talking. That's cool and all, but it would have maybe been cooler to have it be from the perspective of Tenebrae slash Lord Vichit, the Dark Emperor, giving his thoughts because he is so seeped in these, these extreme dark side rites. Uh, then we have Bane, which makes sense, right? New Sith Wars era, but we don't have anything from Exar Kun or Ulit Keldrimo or that era of the Sith Wars. Okay, fine. We move on after that. We eventually find ourselves with, uh, uh, we get Towson, we get uh, Plagueis, we get Sidious. But that's where it ends. Would have been nice to maybe have a final section or a final few words from, say, Darth Crate, Because that's a whole era of Sith that is completely left out of this book. So it sort of feels as though while this is an interesting trip through the history of the Sith Orders to see how they have evolved in their thinking, there are steps that aren't present um, that seem kind of kind of unfortunate to me. It might have been nice to see perhaps some of these sections be a little bit smaller and some other sections added in, but I wonder if this is something that the publisher uh, just would not have gone for just because of the, the sheer number of other page styles and stuff that would have had to be used. I would imagine this being kind of a nightmare to produce. And bear in mind, this is not Del Rey. I don't expect Del Rey would ever send out a review copy of something without the freaking book in it, as you mentioned. Um, this is from Becker and Mayer. Uh, Beckermayer.com is the, the company's website. So this is not a Del Rey publication, per se. So, I mean, I don't know. There, there's so many things that make this an odd book. It's a good book, but it feels as though maybe it could have been even more than it was, but didn't have the opportunity to do that. Kind of the same thing, I think, with you know Jedi Path. You know, it was a really, really good book, but it didn't give us a lot of new information that we could use chronologically it was more of like a guidebook and such you know someone who's into chronology would love to see more you know obscure jedi masters being mentioned you know when they were around or something yeah it's interesting to note though from that back page i just now discovered it is called book of sith secrets from the dark side which is ironic because nowhere on this book does it say secrets of the dark side like why not just ditch that <laughs> That title is actually presumed to be like a real-world kind of title, whereas Book of Sith is a title in-universe. Um, because if you actually if you get that vault edition on the big black box that it comes in, that you literally have to take apart to get the holocron out that has the book in it, 
Um, it says Book of Sith Secrets of the Dark Side on both the front and on the back of it. So that's apparently a, the publishing title, even if in-universe it's not called that. And you said, uh, I think you'd mentioned that it's also on the hardback copy, right? Yeah, the sleeve that goes on the outside of it does say it. It says Star Wars Book of Sith, and then below that in a different font, Secrets from the Dark Side. And then it does the over the centuries. As Sith Lords rose to power, a record, a few recorded their philosophy and schemes to seize control of the galaxy. When they fell, their knowledge vanished. Or so it seemed. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, you know, to, to touch on what you were talking about with the Sith Emperor not being in here a crate, I, I think, you know, what I was mentioning about the, the Peerbloods not being around after him, I think that's probably why he was left out, because we don't really know what happens to his empire and how it kind of crumbled all the way. Uh, and crate, well, that just makes sense, because at this point, obviously, crate wasn't around or never happened yet. I'm not sure what they're doing there, but, you know, it, it works. It, it, one interesting thing, though, Back in Palpatine's preface, uh, preface part at the end, he talks about his new rule of one uh, is enacted. And I, I, I like how he, he initiates that. Makes me wonder, though, if Krayt somehow learned that that's what Palpatine did and then ran with it, or if Krayt just decided that that was what he was going to do. And basically that was the, the force's will going, you know, Palpatine was onto something here but got taken out before he was able to do it. And so the dark side came back in that new form of Krayt. Because, uh, you know, it's it just weird because it makes sense in the aspect that's why Palpatine would therefore, you know, start training all these people, even though he has Vader and Vader is the second one, but he's not really treating him as the second one anymore. But yet you also have Lamaya who then resurrects the rule of two and tries to continue it till it ends with Jason. So I don't know. There, there's that aspect of it where you got the, the overlappingness of, of this many Sith at that time. Yeah, and really, the Sith aren't that big on reality sometimes anyway. You know, they always like to think of themselves <laughs> as the first. They are the ultimate one. I love with uh, Palpatine, kind of the last quote I want to use coming out of here is on the last page of the book itself, before you get to the copyright and all that stuff. You have Sidious kind of lying to himself and saying something we know is bunk. The last few paragraphs here that Palpatine says in his part of the book, Absolute Power. It says, these experiments, talking about the different experiments that he's doing, will lead to greater things, opportunities for me to create new beings of my own design. What then will separate me from the gods of Naboo myth? The philosophy of creating monsters is applicable to the most fundamental elements of life. Darth Plagueis focused much too narrowly on midichlorians, but he was right about a great many things. The dark side consumes the physical body, just as mind became misshapen after the attempted Jedi assassination. But the mind can be preserved. Through the art of dark transfer, I will soon move myself to a younger body, cloned from my own cells. I will achieve immortality. Even if I am killed, I will return from the chaos of non-being to restored physical life. This even my master could not achieve. I knew it was so when I halted his breathing and watched the light vanish from his eyes. He sought the secret of life, to live forever. But I took his life. I remain the ultimate Sith. And now we have him lying to himself. Throughout the eras, the Sith foretold of a being who would destroy their order and rebuild it stronger than before. I do not care about ancient prophecies. The approval of the dead is meaningless. Yeah, right. That's why you're looking at it. Yet it is clear that the Sith Ari could be no other than me. Yeah, I like the fact that he's saying, you know, it's going to destroy the order and rebuild it stronger than it was because those two things are separate paragraphs of that prophecy. That could be the other way around, making the Sith super strong and then bringing it down. And then he says, the Imperial Age has begun. I have centuries to expand on my philosophies, yet all knowledge flows from the dark side writings collected here. Let these pages mark the inception of the first book of Sith. It makes me think of Hitler and his idea of a thousand-year Reich, never questioning the idea that his rule, once he conquers the world, in this case the galaxy, would go on for a thousand years. In this case, of course, Palpatine intending on actually being around for all of it because he plans to find the secret of immortality. But I like the idea that the Sith oftentimes are so caught up in their own self-delusion that it helps bring about their downfall, and each of these people in here seems to give some reason, some, some hint towards the idea that maybe they are yeah. the ultimate Sith. And yeah. it never turns out that way. I love, yeah, uh, Plagueis is like, I'm not a creature of superstition, but if the robes of the Sathari fit, I see no reason not to claim them. 
<laughs> you know, you mentioned something there that, that had me just flipping out uh, when I first read this. And it was uh, kind of, you know, I've been saying for a long time, I want to know when Palpatine starts cloning. And he flat out says, you know, he's a, a I will soon move myself to a younger body from my own clone cells. Uh, in Darth Plagueis's part, when he talks about transcending death, Sidious writes in the side, I've studied the art of the dark transfer, a technique later perfected by the Jedi Ashka Boda, whom I tortured and killed. I have ordered the production of inert clones of my body. One day I will have an inexhaustible supply of fresh forms and the means to pass between them when the flesh proves weak. Dude, I want a date for when he wrote that. That's I was I was like, oh, dude, when are we getting this? Oh, because that is something I have been wanting to know for a long time. I now know that it obviously happened after he became emperor. That's a step in the right direction. These are the kind of things that I love. You know, I, I talk about being in forced philosophy, looking for these little tiny bits. These are the things that, that we investigators use to try to pin down where this has to have happened. Now I know he was already the emperor when it happened. Part of my issue with the Force Unleashed was I really thought they could have done a really good job of making Starkiller clones of Palpatine and the whole plot of that being Palpatine trying to find a way to do the transfer. You know, like, okay, first I got to make the bodies work, okay? So I've got Starkiller here. He's proof that the body is going to work. It's going to be able to channel the Force. Everything's good there. Now I'm going to kill Starkiller and make inert versions. You know, like, I always was waiting for that. Well, now I know that the production of inert bodies happens then. It doesn't say anything about ones that aren't so inert. Whew! I just love that. The, the, the lore that comes in this is a lot of fun, man. Let me just tell you how much fun. It is so much fun. I was doing some fist pumping when I was reading this book. I, I don't kid you. It was a lot of fun. Another one was we talked about the masks. Sidious's mask in Revenge of the Sith, especially. Uh, in Hiding in Plain Sight, he discusses that. Uh, he talks about, uh, you know, how the people, uh, the weak do not understand the Force. They venerate those who appear to be ordinary people like themselves. They cheered at the news of a resolute old man who had survived a Jedi assassination attempt. In Palpatine, an ordinary senator from Naboo, they see a model of human achievement. He continues to go on talking uh, about how it was during that that he got scarred. And that was where, you know, he flat out says it. He was disfigured then. And so it's like, OK, well, there goes, you know, that thought of, well, he had a, a, a he was always scarred and sithly because that was one of those things was like, OK, so when he got that body all scarred up due to Mace, when did he start cloning? How long from that point did he sit with that body? Then did he come to that realization that maybe I should be cloning this and get rid of this body? When did he first clone it? I still want to know. I still want that book. I want a book how he presents this to the galaxy. Oh, yeah, it's a younger version of me, no longer scarred. That was got to freak some people out. There's got to be a moment where he does this, and I want that book. This is getting us one step closer to that story. Ah, I get so excited. Yeah, I will say that one thing this definitely has over Jedi Path is that Jedi Path in being a book the way that it is, a training manual, it doesn't add nearly as much lore as this one does. Lots of cool little tidbits in it. But from a lore standpoint, this is the one to pick up. If you're sitting there with a hundred bucks, or less, depending on what you can find it for at this point, and you're trying to decide between getting the Vault Edition of Jedi Path, or the Vault Edition of Book of Sith, or hey, if you're trying to decide between even the hardbacks of either one, if you're a lore kind of person, this is the one to pick up. It feels more disjointed because of being from different authors in universe, but it definitely is the more lore heavy of the two, which is awesome from a chronological and continuity standpoint. Now, getting back to the Night Sisters, I like the fact that, you know, Mother Talzin, when she's talking, she's explaining how their big their big thing for the Night Sisters is selling their skills. You're going to be trained so we can basically make you a bounty hunter. And you're going to represent us and what we can do. And we're going to send you out. And everything you're doing is, is representing the clan so the clan can get more purchases so we can continue to furnish you with the weapons you need. Like she's got her own little thing going on. There's also a really cool uh, a mention of the ch of the Chunthor, which was great. And I like how Luke's like uh, her version of how that happens is different. But the thing that I like is because Palpatine locks this planet off. These Night Sisters are so bad that he's like, okay, I'm going to make it so you're trapped. You're not going to get off here. And in one of the side comments, he actually mentions it. And he goes, I planned, I planned to construct an Imperial orbital base above Dathomir and a prison upon its surface. It will be curious to see what the Night Sisters do. 
I will contain them if they seek to escape their cage, which he does. They obviously tried to get away, and he made it where they could not get off the planet. And I like that they brought that in there. Uh, and you also had the fact that the Night Sisters are out there trying to perfect their skills as a bounty hunter service as well. So it's a lot of really cool aspects of that that don't really play into other stuff. But you get the insight from the Night Sisters and how they see the spirit world, how they see their planet as as the main spot. There is also a reference to the shapers of uh, Bodur, I think is how you say it, which I love those. They were they were first brought up in one of the uh, RPG books. These people, they were kind of like basically your avatar, the last airbender people. Uh, you know, they they bend the elements, uh, fire, earth, wind, all that stuff. And so they're mentioned as well as another order out there. Uh, you know, lots of cool stuff like that where she's like breaking down others like the prophets of the dark side. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the sorcerers of Rond, uh, the black guard. And of course, the shapers of Crowvar, and I, I think the shapers of Crowvar—they've always been cool ever since I first read up about them. Uh, she also talks about the uh, the Macrosa Order, lots of other Force traditions, because from her point of view, they don't really deal with the dark side, although they embrace that because that is what other Force traditions see what they're doing. They're more equal opportunity will take it all, which I think is kind of funny because, you know, going back to Sin. And her take on the Sith, that was how they were. They were fallen Jedi. They took from everything. And later, as the Sith kind of progressed, they had that that stigma, the dogma of, you know, the Jedi are bad and we're not going to follow any of their mistakes because everything they're doing is wrong. At least the Night Sisters are more willing to look at these other traditions and take things that benefit them. And in that regard, that is what Sidious did with this entire book. He took what little survived of these texts, of these tombs, and collected it all here for his own perverse enjoyment. So with that said, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you guys once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing in the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website. That's www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review there on iTunes while you're at it. We love those reviews. Help us grow. Help us get out there to other listeners. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms. Or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. No matter how you get there, though, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Report, you can get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. With more than 100,000 titles, you can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page, audible.com just might be right for you. And don't forget, if you want to check out some of the stuff that uh, we have up for sale, that is me and my wife, Jody, be sure to check out Amazon.com slash shops slash Lil Joe Collectibles. That's L-I-L-J-O Collectibles, all is one word. And if you want to catch up with me on some more chronological stuff, then be sure to check out the Facebook page for the Star Wars Timeline Gold, which is over at Facebook.com slash SW Timeline Gold. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nate. Saying thanks for listening and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. But the Bounty Hunter's Code will be a lore type of book? Or perhaps just be more of a training manual? Yeah, I'm thinking training manual too. Or the odds that we're going to get further books from the galaxy far, far away beyond these three. Pssst! <laughs>